I have I have five legs actually. That's Eric McLevaney, today's guest. You might be wondering, how does somebody end up with five legs? Well, you start off with two. Kind of going through the steps of realizing, like, holy cow, I just I just stepped on an IED. Then you go down to one. But internally, I, I'm still driven. Uh, I'm still determined. I'm still an athlete. Pick up a few more. A run leg, which is kind of like a runner blade. And I have a bike leg. I use for biking, obviously. And if I'm going to go to the beach and pretend that I'm a surfer, I do have a water leg. And boom, you have five. What comes next? I figure I'm out there. I'm doing it. I'm running Ironmans. Might as well set my goal at 9.57. This episode of Mountain Meister is sponsored by the American Alpine Club. Join a national network of more than 16,000 climbers in support of education and healthy climbing landscapes. To become a member, go to AmericanAlpineClub.org. Use the promo code MEISTER when you sign up so they know who sent you. Hey there, you're listening to the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. I'm your host, Ben Shank, and with us today is Eric McIlvaney. How you doing, Eric? I'm doing great, Ben. Thanks for having me on. If you don't know Eric, he's an endurance athlete and a retired Marine Corps infantry officer. He was deployed three times and on his third and final tour in Afghanistan, an IED took away his right leg below the knee. Less than two years after stepping on that IED, he stepped up to the starting line at Kona and finished the Ironman in 11 hours and 54 minutes. Congratulations, Eric. Welcome to Mountain Meister. Thank you. So we'll get to all of that, I promise. But first, I saw you were from Belvern in Pennsylvania. Yes, that's correct. It's about uh, 20, 25 miles south of Pittsburgh. Have you ever heard of a small town called Scottsdale? Uh, yes. I'm yeah. from Scottsdale, Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. We are both Steeler fans, I'd imagine. Yes, that makes us Steeler fans. Uh-huh. Uh, that must be tough being a Steeler fan up in Boston. You know, people say that all the time, but I don't think it is because... Since I've been in uh, New England, which is the past six or so years, um, the Steelers and Patriots actually haven't played each other too many times. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. How about you being a Chargers uh, in Chargers territory? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm a diehard Steeler fan. I love the Steelers. Uh, and I will root for the Chargers if they're not playing against the Steelers, <laughs> just because I almost feel bad for San Diego. <laughs> you get a lot of people that come out to San Diego and uh, they don't adopt the Chargers. They mm. just stick with their home team. So it's, uh, there's a little bit of lack. I find myself uh, supporting the Patriots just because the people around me are supporting the Patriots. So it's kind of fun to jump on that bandwagon. But if it has anything to do with the Steelers, um, <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And how about the Penguins, huh? Oh, big win last night. Big That's win. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. It's exciting. I'm hoping that by the time I release this interview that they're still winning. <laughs> yeah. Because this could be, be a, a good thing. <laughs> few weeks from now. Hopefully they're still in it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's let's talk about you. Uh, I said an IED took away your right leg, uh, 2011, below the knee. Uh, how many times have you had to tell that story? <laughs> a few, a okay. couple. Give us the quick and dirty version. Uh, so I was uh, I was a Marine infantry officer. I had a cool job in Afghanistan where uh, I led a small team. 
as advisors to the Afghan National Army. So we were working alongside them, mentoring them during combat operations. And after there for about three and a half months, I was on a, a patrol. We were just walking through a village. Um, uh, and that's when, you know, there was, there was an improvised explosive device. It's a you know, kind of like a landmine, a bomb hidden in the ground that uh, I, I stepped on and I triggered the explosion underneath my right foot. And that's, that's what uh, led to the amputation of my right leg below the knee. And do you remember this? I do. I do. I, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of glad I do. I, I had a concussion. So at first I wasn't exactly sure what happened. Um, but I, you know, I remember it very vividly, hmm. uh, kind of going through the steps of realizing like, holy cow, I just, I just stepped on an IED and I, I knew what they did to vehicles and to people. Cause we had been operating for hmm. three and a half months. So I was like, Oh, this, this isn't good. Um, but my, my corpsman, uh, Mike Strum, he had just turned 21 years old at that time and he came running up and just, uh, just so efficiently, um, you know, saved my life. And, and it was amazing watching him work. And then all of the Marines around me just went into action to get me out of there, to get a helicopter in and, uh, seeing that and seeing all the training that, that kicked in, uh, you know, I'm just very grateful that I was with, you know, a group of Marines and everyone just, just did their job to, uh, to get me to the medical facility. Uh, this is something that people would probably think would be a negative memory, but you almost sound like you, th- you it's a positive reflection. Yeah. When I think about it, it's positive. Um, it, you know, at the time, extreme pain, you know, I, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't, uh, just even describe that pain that I felt, but, um, I you would, know, can you I, describe, can you try to, I can, I, I haven't, I haven't hurt physically like, uh, uh, you know how when you're a kid, things used to hurt so badly all the time. I feel like when you become an adult, you don't hurt physically as badly. What was that pain like, if you can try to describe it? Yeah. So, you know, I, at first, I didn't feel pain. I kind of just felt uh, I felt wetness, so I felt the blood. Um, uh, but slowly, it, it began, began to kick in. And when my corpsman came up to me and saw that I was bleeding out of, my, out of my leg really badly, he had had to stop that bleeding. So he applied a tourniquet, and that's when everything started to hurt. And the pain, uh, I, would, man, I would compare it to like almost um, a burning. So my, my right leg down at my ankle, like around my foot, it was just all opened up, and there was um, fractures, and it was bleeding. And, and it felt like... It just felt like it was on fire. And I, I, I think I forgot how to scream or I would have and cried like a little baby. I, and I just, I was pleading with my corpsman, Mike Strom, just to please stop that pain. It was the worst thing that I had ever felt. Uh, and, you know, he, he did. He gave me some morphine and uh, it eased the pain a little bit. But it was just a, such a sharp burning thing. When I think about it, I, like I, I cringe a little bit like, oh, man. It was kind of funny when I, when I go to the doctors now. And they're like, hey, on a scale of zero to 10, <laughs> 10 being the worst pain you've ever felt, like, what does this sore throat feel like? And I'm like, oh, it's about a negative three. <laughs> right. I've, I've always had a problem with that question. My mom's a doctor, so she'll say that to me occasionally. And I, like, it's very subjective to what pain you've, you've experienced. Yeah. In, in yeah. your life. No. Yeah. So I'm, I, I never go above a three. Uh, and three, three has to be pretty bad. Like when I was in the hospital after the injury and, and the nurses were coming in saying, okay, where, where are you at on your pain scale? I'm like, ah, oh, 
man, I think like a, a two. I was in pretty bad pain, but it did not even come close to comparing to when I stepped on that, that bomb. <laughs> right, right. That's pretty funny. Oh, uh, this actually brings up uh, the roommate Max question. I have a roommate. His name's Max. Um, and I ask him before my interviews if he has any questions for the person. Yeah. Uh, so he, he wanted to know, what's your response to people when you hear them say like, oh, I just couldn't do something or oh, it, it just hurts so much? Yeah, you know, I, I just know it's all relative. Uh-huh. It's, you know, it doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't make me upset or angry. Uh, you know, sometimes I've noticed when someone does say something like that and they're around me, I'll catch them look at me and be like, oh, I, I didn't really mean that. Like, I, I, I know, but I understand that it's, I mean, it's, it's relative to what exactly. you're going through and what you've been through and, and what is, I mean, there's times that, that I, like I'll stub my toe and I'll, I'll, recreate a scene of like me getting blown up it's like oh wait a second i'm, t- I'm blowing this out of proportion a little bit <laughs> let, me, let me step step back absolutely so that, i guess that transitions nicely to this question is that you said people look at your leg um you're you're basically identified in some respects by your injury now yes yeah i, I would say so and you don't have a choice you know, I, I could have a bit of a choice. Uh, I, I live in San Diego, which the weather is always pretty nice. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good place to be. Uh, and I just, I choose to wear shorts a lot because the weather is good and because it's just way more convenient for me. Because throughout the day, if I'm sitting or if I sit down, like I might just slip my leg off to give it, to give my limb a little bit of a break. And when I'm wearing pants, like I would have to take my pants down to my ankles to make any adjustments where that's, eh, that's usually not a good thing if you're sitting in class or at work. <laughs> so I, I wear shorts a lot. And so everyone can see that I have a prosthetic leg. So I don't, I don't hide it at all. Mm-hmm. I, I myself, a lot of the times forget because it's this is just normal to me, and it's it's pretty wild how quickly it became normal. Like after just, I say before before a year, it was almost as normal. Hmm. I would I would forget. I would go to the store, go in looking for something, can't find it, walking around, and then I would notice someone look down at my leg because it's you know that's just natural for right. someone. You see something different, you look down, and then when they would look down, it's like oh that's right, I have a prosthetic leg. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Uh, it's, so it's, I, and I think, you know, I think it has been, uh, a way to, uh, it, it's turned into my, I guess, identification a little bit. So it, it's turned into your identification. Some people choose to change their identification when whatever's on the outside doesn't match how they feel on the inside. For you, it's, it's almost the opposite. Yeah. And, and I think for me, it's the new identity was was a, a physical thing uh and you know early on i thought that oh man now that i'm missing a leg like i i i feel like a different person i look like a different person i have to change who i am like maybe i can't be so active maybe i need to mm. start enjoying to read more or something so i i had some issues like that very early on uh, but as i continued through the recovery process i realized that Okay, externally, like I, I look like a different person, but internally, I, I'm still driven. Uh, I'm still determined. I'm still an athlete. I mm. uh, still have passion in the outdoors, and uh, I'm, yeah, I I haven't changed in in that sense. So 
uh, it's interesting talking about identity because you know I thought that my identity had totally changed, but really it's just you know I, I'm missing a part of my leg, but I am still uh, who I grew up as. Right, and using uh, and like being who you are, and then finding a way to live that way. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. Um, I was trying to read this book, and I'm occasionally still reading it. It's called The Tale of Dueling Neurosurgeons. It talks a lot about the brain. Um, and I, th- I found this part interesting. Uh, this uh, During World War I, uh, a lot of soldiers were shot in the face and would have to go to this rehabilitation center, and somebody ended up trying to make them plastic masks to to give them some sort of different identity. And uh, they ended up being very beautiful, good-looking masks, but there was no nerve endings on the masks, different from today where people can get facial mm-hmm. transplants. Yeah. And what they found is that the soldiers had a very difficult time accepting their new identity because they couldn't feel and they couldn't experience what you normally do with a face. But Mm -hmm. then when they had people start shaving and with the facial transplants, people could start smiling and using makeup and kissing and all these things that involve experience with the face, then that's when they started feeling like the new face was part of them. So with you doing all these athletics, it almost seems like by using that prosthetic leg more, it begins to become a part of you more. Yeah, yeah. I get, yeah. And it, I like how you explain that with a face. That sounds like an interesting book. And it's, when I think about it, when I think about like smiling and, and excitement and just, uh, it's, it's an outward uh, yeah, right. show, show of like an internal emotion. And that, that is important. And I think the leg is the same thing. Like, you know, internally, like I, I, man, I've just had this passion for sports and competition and being outside and, uh, and, and doing it. And when I found that I can still do all that, it's like, okay, good. And like, I am happy, fulfilled person. Very cool. So it might almost be easier for you as an athlete to adjust to, uh, uh, something that would seem like it would prevent you from being an athlete uh, but since you're using it so much this is, this is quite fascinating <laughs> more Mountain Meister coming up in about 20 seconds first just wanted to say thanks to everyone who has contributed to the podcast financially at mtnmeister.com slash support much appreciated special shout out to one of our listeners Alan Levine he wrote a novel it's called Run It's both a love letter and a coming-of-age story that takes place across the high school cross-country season. Check it out. It'll be on Eric's Meister profile page on our website, mtnmeister.com. So how many – just a couple of quick questions. Uh, um, How many legs do you have? Because you're you're a triathlete. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have – I have five legs, actually. I have uh, my left one, which is still good. That's uh-huh. the one I was born with. <laughs> so that's one. Then I have uh, just my everyday walking leg. And um, it's if I'm playing basketball or baseball or something like that, I can play those little sports in that. So that's just what I usually wear. Then I have a run leg, which is kind of like a runner blade. It's a Oser Flex run. Mm-hmm. And I have a bike leg. 
that uh, I use for biking, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I, when I when I race in triathlon and train, I don't wear a leg to swim in, but I do have a water leg. If I'm going to go to the beach and pretend that I'm a surfer or yeah. go and ha- hang out at a pool or something, then I'll wear, I'll wear that leg. Uh, uh, when you compete in swimming, are you allowed to wear a leg? No, no, you're not. You're not actually allowed to wear a leg when you're competing in triathlon. Um, for one, you can. I think you can really give yourself an advantage by putting like a bigger fin on or or something like that. And two, the legs are, the legs are pretty hard. They're you know, it's carbon fiber, hard material. And in a triathlon, you're pretty close to people. You already get elbowed and kicked enough to, I think, to get hit in the head with a, with a prosthetic leg might might do some damage. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. I do want to get into the future of um, prosthetics, but but first let's continue this triathlon discussion. I said you ran a little under twelve hours at Kona. Do I have that right? Yeah, eleven fifty four. Eleven fifty four. Very impressive. Uh, I, I've heard that you want to try to become the fastest amputee to run an Ironman. Yeah, you know it's it's one of those things. Like I don't I don't know. Like I almost feel weird saying, "Oh, I want to break the record." Hmm. Um, what I want to do is I want to get competitive with with those times. And there's a few gentlemen. One, Jim McLaren. Like he just he was an amazing athlete, uh, single below knee amputee, uh, and it just ran some great times. Ran a ten forty two at Kona. Uh, then uh, Paul Martin is an American who I think his best time is a ten oh three. Which is just amazing. Like, and, and I'm just, I look up to that time in awe, and it's like, wow, that compared to my fastest time right now, like, it's, it just, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. And then the, the fastest right now is a 9.57 uh, by a Brazilian named uh, Rivaldo Martins. And again, like, that's just, you know, like, I just, I want to get at that level. So I, f- I figure I'm out there, I'm doing it, I'm running Ironmans. Might as well set my goal at nine fifty seven. But it's you know I don't I don't care about being a record holder. I just I want to get competitive with those guys and and get to that same level because uh, it's it's one of those things that once you're doing it it's uh, it, the progression. That's what I've been so excited about is I'm I'm still fairly new in the triathlon, so I'm I'm still seeing constant progression. Like I haven't <laughs> plateaued or, or dipped down. It's just I'm getting better each and each each year with more experience. Uh, so it's so exciting. You're on me. the best part of the learning curve. Yes, right? yes, exactly. Yeah, that's what I love about sports is th- like the feeling of improvement. Yep, yep. Was it was it like that when you originally got your your prosthetic leg? Yeah, I mean it's it's been constantly like that, and I think uh, I have a good problem where uh, I'm not extremely patient. And it's funny because patience is important sometimes, I think. <laughs> but but some, if, if you let patience become a little bit of laziness, <laughs> then, then that's not good. And for me, after my injury, uh, you know, after like, okay, what, you know, I dust myself off a little bit. It's like, let's go. Let's, let's figure this out. Uh, I, I wanted to be standing in that prosthetic leg so so soon like i i i was ready to do it and my my surgeon said no like your your wounds aren't all healed up yet you can't do it you have to wait two more weeks and i remember those two weeks being the worst two weeks ever i just wanted to go do it so i finally got that leg and you know i got a run leg and i i wanted to take it home and wear it 
or not a run like a, a regular walking leg. I wanted to wear it um, throughout my entire day. And my physical therapist is like, no, that's not how this works. Like you, I'm not going to let it, you take this thing home yet. Like you can only spend 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> so I was like, okay. okay. And it's each step of the way I wanted to, to get to really quick. So once I was walking comfortably, it's like, okay, I need this run leg. Hey doc, can you approve me for a run leg? And, and, um, so I think I had that problem where instead of having to push me forward, you kind of had to like hold, hold the leash and, and pull back a little bit. And I, I look at that problem as, as kind of a good one. Like I, I didn't really have patience. And, and when, you know, the surgeon said, Hey, you can't, you can't go and do this. I was like, okay, I'll, you're a surgeon, you're a doctor, you know, like I'll do it. I'll have the patience to do what you say, but I just know that I am eager to make it to the next step. So it, it kind of worked like that from walking to running, to running fast, to, to running Ironman. It, it's just a progression that uh, I was always eager to get to that next step. Very good. Has your patience ever been a disadvantage though? Oh yeah. Yeah. My patience is, has certainly been a disadvantage. And just recently, recently last year, um, in last season, I was supposed to run a Ironman in Arizona in November and I was, I was fit. I was feeling pretty good. I was getting really excited about this thing and my, my back started bothering me. I was like, Oh, this can't be good. And a week before the race, it was at the point where like, I, I can't run. Like I need to, I need to get this thing checked out and, uh, did an x-ray and I ended up with a little stress fracture in my back. Um, so the plan was to rest, to do some physical therapy and then to slowly start building myself back up. And I, in my head, that should have taken no longer than a month. So that's what I did. And I didn't completely listen to my body. And even though I was still having some pain, I was still getting on the bike and trying to get up, try, trying to go when my body was telling me not to. And it, it, you know, I prolonged the injury um, because of that. So that's, that's a time when patients really, I, I should have had the patience and um, it should have listened to my body. My body knows what what I can and can't do and it tells me and sometimes uh, I'm just too stubborn to listen to it uh-huh. everything in moderation that's a good piece of advice from my mother that's good <laughs> I like that yeah <laughs> there's a race coming up called the 106 West Triathlon you're competing yes. in this right Yes, you should too. You should do it too. I, I will <laughs> tell you right now, I will not be competing in this. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, I, I'm excited. It's uh, it's in September. I think it's September. Yeah, it's September, yeah. beginning of September, I think. Yeah, so it's in Dillon, Colorado, and it it's a half Ironman distance race, and it is the highest triathlon in the world. It's going to be at up and around ten thousand feet of elevation, uh, which is for. It's going to be miserable. Like I, I train at sea level, and to go right. that, uh, it's it's just sounds awesome. It sounds cool, but it sounds like a challenge to me. So that's I think that's why I think it sounds so cool. Well, I would certainly say it sounds like a challenge. Yeah. Uh, what what is it like for uh, swimming in particular? I feel like the swims are normally at sea level, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's true. Um, that. I think the swimming will be the most difficult because uh-huh. uh, when you swim, you're already depriving yourself of, of oxygen a little bit. So when you're at elevation like that, then you're really depriving yourself of oxygen. So I think that's where I really that's where I need to to be careful. Maybe change my breathing technique to almost almost every stroke. Uh, I you know and and I it's 
it's in September, this race. So I have a lot of homework to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to do a little bit of training at elevation. And I have uh, one of those masks, one of those altitude yeah. masks. So I'm, I'm going to do what I can and tap into some people at who've, who do um, races and, and training at mm-hmm. elevation just so, so I can really have a better idea of, of what techniques I should use going into this thing. Mm-hmm. But it's it's really it's going to be a really cool atmosphere, really cool environment, just a beautiful place. Still in Colorado, in the mountains. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm super excited to go out and do that race. Uh, now, th- don't take advice from me, but let's say you do start running out of air, could you just switch your swimming to the backstroke? Yeah, you can, you can. if you want. Okay. Yeah, it's. Uh, I I probably won't. I'll probably just keep going until I'm... (laughs) Sometimes I ask questions on the show that I'm really not sure if they're so idiotic. Like that that seems like such a ridiculous question to me if you can do the backstroke. No, you you can if you to get from in a triathlon to get from point A to point B, you can kind of do whatever you want as long as you're not assisted by like a paddleboard or or something like that. So you can do freestyle, freestyle. You can stop and start doing the breaststroke. You can be super motivated and start doing the butterfly if you want. Like I, you, as long as you make it, and most races have a time cutoff, mm-hmm. uh, just because courses can't stay open forever, just because of road situations. Uh, so as long as you get from point A to point B, then then that's fine. I, you know, I I train freestyle just because it's it's my best stroke, uh, and I I haven't not. I mean, I I haven't resorted to using a different stroke mm-hmm. in, in a triathlon before so you know I, i'll go into that race planning to to do the freestyle and if something happens like i, I can always go on my back for a little bit kind of catch my breath and then i can flip back over and go mm-hmm. i was uh thinking of uh, possible locations that could dethrone this race for the highest in the world highest triathlon in the world to, yeah. and i remember from my seventh grade geography teacher Mr. Porter, Mr. Porter, if you're listening out there, hello. What the highest lake in the world is? Do you know what the highest lake in the world is? I don't. Lake Titicaca, it's in South America. That's funny. I was going to guess that, but I wasn't sure if, if I just remember that because I'm immature. Right. Exactly. Well, that that was the joke in, in seventh grade when Mr. Porter taught us about Lake Titicaca. Do you know how high it is? Twelve thousand five hundred seven feet. I just Googled it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> So unless, uh, with it being Everest season, we talk about that's the highest place in the world where you could host a triathlon. You just need to find, I don't know if there are any lakes that are, or sorry, not lakes, but maybe just smaller ponds where you could host a triathlon uh, around Mount Everest. There you You go. And then that would then dethrone the Lake Titicaca triathlon. Yes, yes. (laughs) This could get interesting. Uh, well, we'll see. You know, people in this industry are pretty crazy. People come up with some weird things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have a Mountain Meister triathlon starting on Mount Everest, <laughs> making its way to the closest pond nearby. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> All right. Well, you can find links for the 106 West Triathlon on our website. Also, uh, links all about Eric on that page as well. Uh, So I mentioned we want to talk about the future of prosthetics. You're a mechanical engineer. And with your uh, expertise in that industry, could you see a time when when prosthetics advance beyond – the ability of the human body where people are getting bionic legs to outperform our human legs. 
you know, I at first <laughs> I gotta just take a quick step back. <laughs> I, I studied mechanical engineering. I got my mechanical engineering degree from the United States Naval Academy, and then I uh, I spent seven years in in the in the infantry in the Marine Corps. <laughs> I've never actually worked as a mechanical engineer, <laughs> so. That, expertise is uh oh please uh, i mean relative to me it's expertise yeah well i'll tell you what though as as far as the prosthetics man it if there's ever a good time to be an amputee you know it's right now and it's in the future just because of the technology just over the past 10 or 15 years or so has progressed to a point that uh you know i i don't like i think the word disability when it comes to amputees, is is going to begin to disappear. Does, I feel like, the, I mean, I've talked to a lot of, I ran the marathon for Challenge Athletes Foundation. I've talked to a lot of uh, challenged athletes. I don't think, dis- I mean, disability doesn't apply to you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, but it's with the, with the prosthetics, it's, I mean, it's, there's always some, already some great technology. And right now, uh, a, a way to become faster <laughs> is to, to be taller. If your stride is taller, you get more spring from, from your prosthetic mm-hmm. leg that's spring, then that can be very efficient. Uh, but when it comes to racing, like there's restrictions on, on how tall you can be. Now, me, I'm a single amputee so i can't make myself taller unless i lop off that other leg mm. <laughs> so and that's that's not going to happen uh but as far as um just amputees in general the they're doing different things with ankles different things with with knees uh that uh, does make make you very efficient uh i i get the question a lot like hey are you do you have an advantage because you have that spring leg when you're running? And, you know, it's a good question because of the controversy in, you know, the Olympics a couple right. of years ago. Uh, so I, I, I do, I do not. And it's maybe because I only have one prosthetic leg, but uh, I'm unfortunately a little bit slower than I used to be. My form is better than it used to be. And if I'm running flat or downhill, I am basically as fast because the leg is designed to it it, it returns energy. So right. energy that you put into it it returns it. It doesn't generate energy. So if I'm going slightly up a hill like your calf does a lot of work uh, when you're running in sand or going up a hill. So those muscles that generate energy on my my sound side it that energy isn't generated on on the prosthetic side. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm sure there's ways to to um, come up with devices and mechanical devices or um, uh, you know electronic devices to do that in the future, but right now the the best legs there are uh, do not give me an advantage. <laughs> kind of wish they did, but but they don't. Yeah, that's a uh, it's interesting. Um, there's there's a guy Hugh Her. I think he's at MIT or he was at MIT. Did, did some pretty revolutionary uh, prosthetic designing, and he has legs that he can extend for rock climbing. So, and if you're taller as a rock climber, it gives you an advantage. Oh, that's true. That's great. Yeah. Hey, I figure. I mean, yeah, there there are disadvantages to being an amputee. There are some things that are harder to do. So, and the the instances that you can get an advantage, like rock climbing, like why not go for it? <laughs> you know. That sounds great, and how, that's a that's a good idea. Too. How mad are the climbers going to be though when somebody <laughs> breaks a speed record? Oh, and that's true. And you know, yeah. and they had extendable legs. Yeah, yeah. And then they're going to have to 
have restrictions on legs. Right. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I, I I can definitely envision a time when there need to be there's a body that a, a governing body to right. say you know we can't have or there there need to be restrictions on how much energy a certain a body part can produce or return energy right right yeah there, that does need to happen because it's mm-hmm. we are a smart being human beings and we are progressing and i hope in the future that we're able to develop legs yeah. and arms and, and stuff that can make i don't know give us give us an advantage or to make us better faster stronger like i just i, I think inevitably inevitably it's that's going to happen yeah i i tried googling some things like this i came across a reddit thread that uh, had somebody asked if it was uh, legal in the NFL to have a prosthetic. And the response is, well, one of them was, what if somebody had a, a leg that they could almost use like a golf club for kicking a football? Hey, there you, you go. Know, there's there's opportunities. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> anyway, uh, we like to get a gear recommendation from everybody that joins us onto the show. You can do with it whatever you would like. Um, it can be from a sponsor or a non-sponsor. If it is from a sponsor, please tell us so. Uh, give us something that we should we should have. Yeah. So I guess in, in the world of triathlon, uh, the, the thing that jumps in my mind quickly and, and the thing that I almost need and, and have would have trouble not having is I, it's, it's not a sponsor. I mean, I bought this product. It's just a, a, a watch, a Garmin watch. I, I use the Garmin 910 XT, uh, there's there's a new one, the Garmin 920 XT, and it provides all of the data that you need. So when uh, whether I'm swimming, biking, running, or doing all three in one day, it, it will tell me my heart rate, my how many strokes I'm doing, like what I what I need to be doing, uh, what power I'm pushing on the bike, where where uh, what pace I'm running, what my average pace is, the the balance between my left and my right leg. It, it just it does so much that and that when you know I wear it for my workout, when I walk by my computer, it sends all that data into there into Garmin Express or Garmin Connect which then sends it to training peaks so uh, so my coach can see what I did and then I can quickly see what I did with very little effort. That thing has been awesome. That has been awesome. Uh, so I definitely recommend that. That uh, is, that's great. That's much more sophisticated than my Fitbit, which is telling right. me that today I have about a thousand steps, which is not good. Uh, <laughs> You need to get out there. I, yeah, I, I will be running right after this interview and teaching. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, a few other things with when it comes to triathlon. Like, I, I mean, I, there's a lot of different gear that I use. Uh, I, I don't have very many gear sponsorships. Like, <laughs> that, that would be a cool thing. Uh, but I've I've realized that the most important thing in triathlon is is not worrying as much about the gear, but worrying about the engine and the engine is your body that's what you can change that's what you can work on and that's what you can control and uh i i, you know, I do have a sponsorship from a, a company uh, it's called coco elite and it's it's pretty new it's from my hometown belvern in pennsylvania and it's mm-hmm. a uh, it's a cocoa based uh protein powder so you get the the protein it's it's my after workout um recovery drink so you get 
the, the protein and also cocoa uh, is great for the cardiovascular system. So it's healthy. Uh, it tastes great. I enjoy it. That is my go-to after each and every workout. Very good. Take care yeah. of the engine. I like that. Yes. Uh, Garmin yes. and cocoa on Eric's Meister profile page on our website, mtnmeister.com. One final question for you, Eric, and that is, who would you like to hear next on this show? You know, I I would love to hear from one of my good buddies. His name is Dan Riley, uh, and it's uh, kind of similar. He was a Marine. He stepped on an IED in Afghanistan, and he lost both of his legs above the knee and some of his fingers. Uh, and this dude inspires me. He, I have never once heard him give an excuse or complain, and he is way worse off than me like he makes me like when when i'm when i need to complain or make an excuse i think about him uh, but he he skis he surfs he does triathlon uh, and i think one of the coolest thing is he travels the world as a double amputee and he'll be the first one to tell you that other countries are not as handicap accessible as is our country so i think he has some really really cool stories about going to different countries and how he managed to get around. Uh, but he's, he's just a guy that uh, inspires me. How great. That sounds like a perfect discussion. Dan Riley? Yes, Dan Riley. Keep an ear out for Dan Riley on a future episode of Mountain Meister. Links from this discussion on our website, mtnmeister.com. You can also find out more about Eric at ericmcelvaney.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It was great. Meister fans, that was Eric McIlvaney. Hope you enjoyed that discussion. You heard us talk about the 106 West Triathlon, and if any of you are crazy enough to want to run in it, I organized a 10% discount just use the code MEISTER on the Eventbrite form. We'll have the link to that on Eric's Meister profile page on our website, mtnmeister.com. As usual, I hope you enjoy doing the rest of whatever you do while you listen to the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. Till next time, I'm your host, Ben Shank, and you have been listening to Mountain Meister. Mountain Meister.